So, have you heard this one anywhere this past week? That carol that maybe comes up every now and then. Have a holly jolly Christmas. It's the best time of the year. And then the next line, it says, I don't know if there'll be snow. That's an interesting line. So, I would love to know in Michigan or maybe in New York, or anywhere northern, do y'all sing that song when you were growing up? I mean, does that line get changed? I'm thinking surely y'all do something like, oh yeah, we know there'll be snow, because there's going to be snow there, right? Well, what is a holly jolly Christmas? What does that mean? Well, if we use word definitions, the only way we know what a holly jolly Christmas is, is to use actually what the words mean. So it would be something like this. Have a shrub with a dark green and red berries, extremely cheerful Christmas. Because, see, that's what holly is. There there is no other definition for holly. It really is a shrub with dark green leaves and red berries. That's what holly is. Now, that song was made famous by Burl Ives, which, incidentally, is one of the greatest names that anyone has ever named their kid, Burl Ives. Now, Burl didn't write that song. The song was written by a guy named Johnny Marks, and Johnny made his marks writing Christmas songs because Johnny also wrote Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. He also wrote uh, Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree, and he also wrote Run, Rudolph, Run, in addition to A Holly Jolly Christmas. So he's got some Christmas songs under his belt. Now, can't you just imagine the day that he's writing Holly Jolly Christmas, though? He's sitting at the house at his piano, and... And he's trying to put all the words together, and he's thinking, man, what, what goes with jolly? Right, let's, let's see. Have a Polly Jolly Christmas. No, that didn't work, because then someone named Molly might be offended that I didn't use her name. I've got to go with something else. And then he keeps looking, and he goes, maybe, maybe golly. Have a golly Jolly Christmas. And one of his kids is sitting on the other side of the room and says, golly gee, Dad, that'd be terrible. Don't do that. And then he says, well, maybe I should go with a different kind of word, maybe not the same spelling. Maybe, maybe have a, a tamale jolly Christmas. No, no, that's, that's just too spicy. So then he looks across the room and he sees the fireplace, and he sees that his wife, Margaret May, has, has hung some stuff all over the fireplace. And he says, you know what? That's it. Holly. That works. Holly jolly Christmas. And that, my friends, is the rest of the story. No, it's not. <laughs> I don't really know how that song came to be. But it's a pretty good song to sing. One day Jesus was around a crowd of people. Now, Jesus wasn't singing to them. Jesus was actually teaching them. And he was teaching them in what's called a parable. And a parable is simply a story that has a very important message that goes along with it. So, see, on this day with this crowd, they didn't have smartphones and and tablets that they could go and record Jesus and what he was saying and record a video of what he was preaching and, and go back and watch it later. They weren't able to do that. And so what Jesus would do is he'd tell a story. He'd tell a story that anybody and everybody could understand, and he'd tell a story that made sure that you could understand the main point of the story, something you could understand, something that you could remember. And on this day, he told a parable. And the parable was not a a holly jolly story. It was actually a story of warning of a very clear and present danger. It was a warning about having a folly 
jolly Christmas. It was a warning about having a folly jolly life. And it wasn't just words of warning. There's also in this parable some healing words, words that heal. Because if you will heed the parable, if you'll listen to the parable, if you'll take the parable in and you obey the truth that's found in the parable, then there is actual healing for your soul. So what was Jesus' parable? Well, let's look. We've been walking through Luke chapter 12. We pick up today with verse 16. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? So this is a guy who's already rich. He's got tons of money. His business is doing fantastic. And now he's got more money. He's even getting richer. And he doesn't have anywhere to put any of his money. That's kind of cool, right? He's got so much money, he didn't have anywhere to put it. He's running out of room for his money. And his money, in a way, is all wrapped up in crops. So he's in the farming business. So why don't we just call him Farmer Sam from here out, all right? So Farmer Sam is our story here. And Farmer Sam, let's just say that his crop is wheat. And he's got the best wheat. Man, his land is just cranking out this wheat. And he's got these barns, and his barns are full of wheat. People are coming to his barns all the time and buying wheat, but he still just has tons of wheat. It never goes away. His barns all stay full. And so he's got a little bit of a problem. He's got a supply and demand problem. Supply is high and demand is high. So he's got the best of both worlds. So here's a rich guy with lots of stuff. He's getting richer, and he's got a problem. His barns are too small. So what's he going to do? He needs to make a a good plan for his business. Well, this is what he does. Jesus continues in verse 18. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. That sounds like a pretty good plan, right? If you were to go to... 719 West Walnut Street in Rogers, Arkansas, you would find the very first building that ever had the word Walmart on the front of it. That building's still there. It's no longer a Walmart, but that building is 12,000 square feet. The Walmart corporate office on their website has a statistic that says the average Walmart Supercenter today is 187,000 square feet. So 12,000 to 187,000. So Farmer Sam is kind of like maybe the first Sam Walton, right? He just needed a bigger place. He had too much stuff, and he needed to do something else with his stuff. So he's got lots of money. He's got lots of weed. He's got lots of crops. He needs to do something with them. So his plan is to tear down his small barns and to build some bigger barns and to build a bigger bank because he's got to put all this money that he's got somewhere. And so that's what he does. So what's he going to do after he gets his bigger barns built? Well, Jesus keeps going with the parable. Farmer Sam says this to himself, And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. It's a great plan, right? I mean, that sounds pretty holly jolly, right? I mean, he's going to have everything that he needs. Farmer Sam is kind of, you know, living the dream, right? I mean, he would be the kind of guy that would be on the front of Progressive Farmer magazine. He'd be in the Fortune 500. They'd have him on the front cover of all these magazines of financial planning, and it would say, Farmer Sam, how to retire early and live the good life. 
Man, how to relax, how to eat good food, how to build that dream home, how to go on great vacations and travel the world and and have exciting, adventurous hobbies. That's who Farmer Sam is. I mean, that's the American dream, right? I mean, that's what all of us kind of think of when we think of what perfect life would look like after 55. I mean, here's Farmer Sam. He's done well. His business is doing good. He's got a great retirement plan. He's been smart. He's, he's done the right thing. And so what happens after the barns? What happens after he has so much to enjoy? And Jesus continues. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? Didn't see that one coming, right? <laughs> I mean, can you imagine the people in the crowd? The people in the crowd are thinking Farmer Sam is the coolest. Man, I want to be Farmer Sam when I grow up. Farmer Sam has it made. And then in the middle of all of that, Jesus gets a huge red Sharpie, and he goes to all of those magazines with Farmer Sam's picture on the front, and he writes in huge red ink, fool. That's a little different, right? That's a little bump in the story. Now, let me be clear. Jesus is not saying it's wrong to have a big barn. Jesus is not saying it's wrong to have a lot of money. Jesus is not saying it's wrong to have a retirement plan. So what is Jesus saying? Well, in order to answer that question, we have to listen to Farmer Sam. Listen to how Farmer Sam talks. My crops, my grain, my bank, my barn, my money. We might say my bicycle. My Furby, my troll, my football, my soccer ball, my Xbox, my PlayStation, my Dremel, my iPhone, my Bolo bracelet, my car. See, Jesus is saying that is folly jolly talk. Or, or maybe in another way, we might say it this way. Well, hey, I, I've, I've never been given anything. Nobody ever gave me anything. I've never had a free lunch. Everything that I own, I have earned by the sweat of my brow. What I own is all mine. But Jesus says, that's how a fool talks. That's kind of a a groundbreaker in this crowd. They're thinking, wait a minute, we, we thought that Farmer Sam was the guy. What is Jesus saying? What is he saying? Well, again, what does he say to Farmer Sam? He says, Farmer Sam, he says, God's going to come to the door of your bank, and he's going to tell you that your appointment is now ready. That the appointment that every single person will always have, the appointment with death, that will be for you today. And for all of your barn building, and for all of your business planning, and for all of your retirement preparation, Farmer Sam, you ignored God. You ignored God. You said that you've earned everything by the the sweat of your brow, but without God you have no sweat and you have no brow. Without God, Farmer Sam, you you have nothing and you own nothing. There's two guys walking away from a, a funeral one day, and one of them asked the other, he said, I wonder how much money that guy left behind. And his friend said, he left all of it behind. He left all of it behind. About 150 years ago, J.C. Ryle said this, Thousands in every age of the world have lived continually doing the very things which Jesus here condemns. They are laying up treasure upon earth and thinking of nothing but how to increase it. 
They are continually adding to their hordes as if they were to enjoy them forever and as if there was no death and no judgment and no world to come. And yet these are the men who are called clever and prudent and wise. These are the men who are commended and flattered and held up to admiration. Truly the Lord sees not as man sees because the Lord declares that rich men who live only for this world are fools. See, here's the thing. This crowd understands it better than we do. (laughs) See, there's a reason that Jesus always talked about how the faith of a child was so rich, because a child can hear stuff is not what I should worship, and they can kind of get it. It's harder for us. That's probably why Jesus closes the parable like this. So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. See, what Jesus is saying is, you don't want to be Farmer Sam. It doesn't matter that Farmer Sam's story sounds great. Farmer Sam was rich, except for the one area that he needed to be rich in. He needed to be rich toward God. See, here's the thing. When Jesus Christ invites you to repent of your sin, invites you to believe in his gospel, when he calls you to to follow him, that call comes with the wealthiest, richest, guaranteed promise that exists in the universe. And that promise goes like this. One day Jesus said this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Don't, Don't do that, he says, but do this. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. Don't miss this promise. Jesus is saying that if your salvation in him, if Jesus is your first and greatest treasure, then that treasure cannot fade. That treasure cannot rust. That treasure cannot be destroyed. If Jesus is your first and greatest treasure, that treasure cannot be stolen. It cannot be taken away. Not because of you, but because of him. See, his promise, his guarantee to you is that he will never leave and never forsake you. The promise of the treasure of Jesus lasts forever. I was reading a story this week about a man named Bill Butterfield and his son, Jesse. Jesse was going to turn six years old. It's going to be his birthday. So his dad said, hey, Jesse, what do you want for Christmas? What do you want for your birthday? And he said, Dad, I either want a soccer ball or a football. Just one of those, a soccer ball or a football. And so his dad said, well, which one do you want more, the soccer ball or the football? And he said, well, here's the thing, Dad, and this is what Jesse told his dad. Well, if you have some time to play ball with me this next year, I'd really like a football for you and me to throw around in the backyard. And then Jesse said this, but if you're going to be real busy this next year, Maybe you better just get me a soccer ball because I can play soccer with the rest of the kids in the neighborhood. Right? I mean, that's a big ouch for a dad. But but now that I've pulled on our heartstrings just a tad, let me see if I can kind of make that parallel to this true parable in the same way that, that Jesus might have said something. And it goes like this. If you play football with your son every single day and twice on Sundays, and you go to every single Little League game, and you go to every high school game, and he gets a college scholarship, and he wins the Heisman Trophy, and he goes on to play in the NFL, 
but is not rich toward God, then he will be a fool. And so will you. For not tossing that football back and forth and letting him know there is no greater treasure than Jesus. By not letting him see the the beauty of the manger, the beauty of the cross, the beauty of the tomb, the, the beauty of the risen Jesus. Jesus is the treasure. See, these songs that they're singing, they're they're not just songs. You see, the whole idea behind these songs is to make sure that you kind of ask yourself that question. Does Christmas really mean Jesus to me? I loved hearing them sing Emmanuel, Emmanuel, because that picture reminds us that God has not ignored us, that he's come to us. If Christmas really means Jesus to you, then so will the rest of your life. And the reason why is because you'll be waking up every morning and you'll be stunned and amazed all over again that Jesus is Emmanuel and that God has come to us.